0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, we just are here. We're so grateful to be able to be together as your people. Please come and be our teacher. The need is greater. The hour is late. Our souls are looking to you today to enrich us, inspire us, and educate us. For these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to take a look today at uh, some more brain-body connections in a very significant area of mental health. I was reading an article today that uh, 44% of, of interviewed Americans felt that, feel that this pandemic has caused them the most emotional stress they've ever experienced in their life. So we've seen an increase, this pandemic has shown us an increase in stress, suicide at nearly all age groups, including small children, and so clearly, it's really important that we understand at a deeper level some of these uh, crises that people are experiencing and that we are experiencing. I've noticed that as I do programs for the public and programs for the church, there really aren't very many differences in the kinds of challenges that we face as God's people and in the public. And and God wants to make... Uh, These problems are our opportunities, not only for personal growth, but for public ministry. And that's what we want to do, isn't it? But we need the personal strength to be able to do it. We need to know how to put one foot in front of the other. And this is something uh, that I love, this statement. There are things that I just carry with me in my Bible. They're very precious to me. And so this is a comment found in Patriarchs and Prophets on the story of David when he fled King Saul and went into the land of the Philistines to King Achish. And he realized that he was in the land of Goliath and he feigned madness in, in order to escape. When he was recognized as the, as the slayer of Goliath, he feigned madness. So you can imagine, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. He was frightened, he made wrong moves, and here is the comment regarding that situation with David. It says, He who had sought refuge with the foes of Israel found himself in great peril. Have you ever tried to fix your problem and it just makes it worse because you chose the wrong thing? But feigning madness, he deceived his enemies and made an escape. Yet this experience was serving to teach David wisdom. How many of you just want to keep saying yes to whatever God shows you? You may have gotten yourself into a mess. You don't know how you got there. You don't know how to get out. But Jesus wants to use it as a learning experience for you and grow you out of even that. That's what makes our Savior so lovable, isn't it? That he loves us when we're unlovable. It led him to realize his weakness and the necessity of constant dependence on God. Now listen to this. How precious is the sweet influence of the Spirit of God as it comes to depressed or despairing souls, encouraging the faint-hearted, strengthening the feeble, imparting courage and help to the tried servants of God. Do I have an amen in this room today? And that is the course that we have signed up for. Jesus said, come to me and learn. So we've signed up to learn. And today we want to take a look at depression not just as a mood, but as a condition. And there's a difference, isn't there? There's been a lot of misunderstanding about depression. And so I hope that we can just bring some clarity today in introducing some concepts that I think that will be helpful to you, and it has certainly helped me. Depression is the leading cause. Isn't that surprising? The leading cause of disability worldwide ahead of heart disease, any given cancer, and AIDS. Is that a surprise to some of you today? It was a surprise to me. If you suffer from depression, you are not alone. Severe depression, disabling depression, at least two weeks of being absolutely disabled, don't even know which way to put the key in the door handle, affects 20 million Americans, 3 million teens, and milder forms are everywhere. And in fact, these statistics are much higher now post-pandemic. How many of you knew that Abraham Lincoln famously suffered from severe melancholy or depression? I am now, he said, the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on this earth. Have you ever felt that way? I will tell you that I have. Winston Churchill famously battled the demon of depression for many years, almost fulfilling his father's prediction of a shabby, unhappy and futile existence. Winston Churchill was not a handsome little boy. He didn't have an amazing personality. His dad was embarrassed by him. He was put away in a school where he did not do well scholastically, didn't have a lot of friends. His mother was a socialite who was too busy for him. And he was uh, so used to rejection and a feeling of abandonment and being isolated and misunderstood that when he became prime minister and had to make decisions against all of the European allies in World War II, he was so used to standing alone that guess what happened? He saved, he saved Europe. So as I said yesterday, God wants to take your worst memory, your worst weakness, your most awful experience, and weaponize it for His kingdom. Can you say Amen? amen. amen. So, as a runaway, uh, I started running away seriously when I was eleven. But age five, I was my first experience. Ran away for good when I was seventeen. Bulimic, drugs, the whole thing. Worthless, helpless, hopeless, God can turn those curses into a blessing. There are many causes for depression, but depression can actually become very quickly a physical condition. There is a pastor, not of our faith, who was very health-minded, a jogger, very gifted speaker. He traveled, he had all kinds of church ministries going, happy family, wonderful wife. Busy, busier, as Jay Gallimore used to say, than a bee on a griddle. (laughs) Happy, happy, busy, busy, bzzz. One day he got up to go to a speaking engagement, some kind of prayer breakfast for men. He sat in his chair, had a complete breakdown. He was clinically depressed, couldn't get out of bed for three months, actually um, suffered quite seriously. And this story reminds me of a seminar that I attended by a professional physician who specializes in the interaction of the nervous and immune system and the stress system called a psychoneuroimmunologist. And he explained what happened to this pastor, because this was not a self-absorbed, selfish, self-indulgent, think-about-myself-all-the-time person. He was not doing horrible things that are depressing. He was doing amazing things that are wonderful, but his body shut him down. And this psychoneuroimmunologist explained that each and every one of us have in our brains something called a governor. A what? A governor. A governor. Now, when we, when we moved to Michigan from the hills of North Carolina, we had some acreage with lawn and my husband and son, the first thing they did is they went out and bought a riding lawn mower. And the second thing they did with that riding lawn mower is they opened it up and they took out something called the governor. Governor. Now somebody tell me what the governor does for the lawn mower. It slows it down. That's exactly what it does, so that it can't become a hot rod which is what our lawnmower became. <laughs> and it burned out. I have a friend, uh, my, sister ha- my sister has a friend who is a businessman who travels a lot internationally and all over the place, and he absolutely can't stand hotel showers. And hotel shower heads have governors. So he has a little toolkit that he carries with him. <laughs> and every- the first thing he does before he does anything else when he enters his hotel room is he takes the shower head off, takes the governor out, puts the shower head back on, enjoys lush showers. (laughs) Then before he leaves, he puts it back and goes, and nobody knows the difference. (laughs) So an interesting question that this physician asked in this seminar on depression was, if you think about the flu, and you take away the fever part of the flu, what are some of the symptoms that a person would experience without fever, what are some of the other symptoms that a person would experience when they have the flu? Aches, Aches. just extreme lethargy, they call it lassitude. I remember being really sick with the flu and having my hand on a devotional. As if by osmosis
1: (laughs) something would happen.
0: But I did not have the strength or the mental inclination to even pick it up and look at it. So what are some other symptoms of flu? Headaches, nausea, muscle aches, chills, uh, low energy, no creativity, can't think, mental fog. Does that sound like depression no taste. pardon no taste. yeah the taste I mean no pleasure in anything nothing is tempting you have to think okay how many steps to the sink to get a drink of water do I even have the motivation to do that no motivation and hedonia just like you see in addiction no pleasure listless uh, this is a description of what can happen with serious depression and according to this researcher who deals with these body systems Very often, the brain's governor has sensed danger. When your body senses a virus, it shuts you down. The governor shuts you down. When you get to a certain point of exhaustion, it doesn't matter if you put snow down your shirt, your brain will put you to sleep. And it's the same thing with mental stress, trauma, depression. It can get to the point where your brain says, okay, we're shutting this person down. And there are some autoimmune type of illnesses that also have involvement with the governor. Chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. So we will, we will tell people, you know, we've had people say, well, you know, just like get over it. Put on your sweats. You don't have energy to walk to the front door. Just put on your sweats, push, push through it, go for a run, you know, push through the wall. And when your governor is shutting you down, that's the worst thing you can do. So there was one woman with, and these, the origin of these syndromes can be uh, multiple, can be a viral load. We don't know all the reasons. There's a certain mystery around some of these ailments. But uh, one woman learned to not cross the boundary of that governor. And so she could walk with, you know, a certain amount of energy to a certain point. And then she'd go back to bed and rest. And then maybe the next day or the next week, she could get to the mailbox. The next, do you see what I'm saying? Instead of pushing through, she respected the boundary of that governor. It's like a toaster, or no, it's like a, a, fire, a fire alarm that is hyper vigilant and just a wisp of smoke from the toaster sets it off. And your brain has to recalibrate what normal looks like and what danger looks like. So as with anything else, healing is a process. So let's take a look. Fortunately, their depression did not win. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, if you read his history, he lost elections, he wasn't liked, he was melancholy, uh, his business failed, uh, and, and yet somehow, these men illustrate the remarkable ability that God has built into our brains to learn good things out of bad situations, to become strong out of weakness. Amen? That's God's will for us. Now, there's a wonderful book by Neil Nedley called Depression, The Way Out, and he identifies 21 different hits or factors involved in depression. Some of them are changeable and tunable, and some of them are not, but would you agree with me that the ones that are tunable and changeable, we would want to pay attention to, and we would, and even if, if even if you're as happy as a clam, and I don't understand where that phrase comes from, I've, I don't know how to tell if a clam is happy, but even if you are as happy as a clam, do you need to be putting some uh, investments in your mental, physical, and emotional, and social, and spiritual bank, so that when you're hit? You're ready. Or you can help that person that is struggling. When I went through the devastating journey of my, my husband's cancer journey, I will tell you what one thing that I learned. And that is this. What you learn in the light when you have time to learn it is what and energy to learn it is what you're going to take into the darkness with you. You 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 are not going to learn something brand new when you're in a pit. And it's the nature of a pit that there's no natural way out. So everything in a crisis is going to be automatic. Our eating habits were automatic. Our schedule was automatic. Our worship was automatic. Our feelings were all over the map. God was present with us. But there came a point where he held us. Our habits held us. We couldn't hold on anymore. It was too terrible. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may be going through something like that right now. And I will tell you that now is the time to start developing develop now is the time to start developing and maturing the attitude, attitudinal disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, the lifestyle disciplines. Uh, This amazing woman spoke to me at Pennsylvania camp meeting. I've just come directly from Pennsylvania camp meeting, and she has a, a loved one that was in rehab multiple times for drug addiction. I think it was her son. And this last time he came through, he's been free uh, for a long time now. And of course, this is one grateful mama. And he came out with a motto, something he heard when he was in rehab. And this was what he heard. And I want you to think of this statement in the context of what I've just told you, because I don't want it to sound hard. But in the context of where this young man was and what he was doing with his life, he came out with this motto, winners do what they have to. Losers do what they want to. So a lot of life, and we don't want to run around calling people names. Okay, so that's why I'm telling you, please consider the context of what it took for this man to get hold of impulse control and, being, and flying by impulse and feelings instead of principles and truth. And more and more, we're all going to, have to learn some deep lessons in this. Ellen White says that our confidence in God will be severely tested and that faith grows strong in earnest conflict with doubt and fear. So people, we've got to begin to learn how to walk by what we know and let our feelings catch up with us later. So chronic depression risk factors include family history and genetics. Is it possible to be genetically prone? to depression. Absolutely. What about medications or certain medical conditions? This is one reason why I'm so thankful for our natural remedies uh, uh, class in the morning because some of the very medications that treat lifestyle diseases are directly associated with increased risk for for depression. And so what we can do naturally is going to dial down perhaps the onset of a problem or maybe even getting it at all or the duration or the intensity. Praise God for that. Amen? Social and environmental factors, do those play a part? There's a book by Ron Broffman Succeeding When You're Supposed to Fail. Very interesting book about children who have been uh, abused, they, they've been marginalized, set aside, abandoned, they had alcoholic, drug-addicted parents. And he examined the personality traits of these children and very surprisingly, although the incidence of adverse childhood um, experiences was directly correlated with increased risk for uh, acting out behavior, addictions, and depression, he also learned that one-third of this group, one-third of these kids actually thrived. They didn't survive, they thrived. They actually had resilient personality traits that maybe they inherited, maybe they learned. Uh, he, it, it's not uh, expounded upon really well, but these traits are trainable, they're learnable. Do you think those are traits that God wants all of us to learn? Absolutely, and I was thinking about that one day on a walk, because my trajectory from an abusive background, and and, uh, 20 years of bulimia, and drugs, and running away, and all of that, obviously, I didn't fall into the one-third of amazing kids category, Uh, and so I was thinking about this one day, I was going on a walk, and I said, Lord, what about it? What about trauma? There's two major types of trauma. I think it's called type two and type one trauma, but type two trauma would be what has happened to you uh, that that should not have happened. It's, it's the meanness, the abuse, the, the, the assaults. When people maybe had authority over you as a child and you didn't have any choice in the matter. I mean, these things have profound effects on neuroimmunological development, hypervigilance, pain proneness, depression, For life, uh, uh, proneness to infection, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the interesting thing is, is that as we adopt new ways of thinking and living, is there healing that begins to take place? I love the verse in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7, where the Lord says he understands where we came from. You know, he may have been silent when that was happening to you, but he wasn't absent. That's good news. And he wants to weaponize that thing for his kingdom. Amen? Amen? He wants to heal you and galvanize you as a super weapon. And in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7, it says, whatever you have experienced, this shame that you have been through, he says, I will repay you double. Double for your trouble. Like workers' compensation. It's very cool when you think about it. And so this type of trauma, I was walking, going for a walk. I said, Lord, what about it? What about this? What, what's the story here? And the scripture that came to me is that he came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to restore sight to the, to the blind, amen, and vision. And so uh, a bruised reed, it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. Baby's breath would put it out. So do you see how gentle we need to be with people? We don't know their background. We don't know their story. We don't know what's going on with their genetic and environmental, all those layers of people. And, and we want people to respond quickly, sign up for studies quickly, get better quickly, have a good attitude quickly, because it's annoying. We're busy people. So we want them to quick, get better. But what God wants us to do is walk with people. Amen? Just walk with them. And then I thought about the other kind of trauma, I think it might be called type one trauma, where it's what should have happened that did not. It's that baby left in the crib in the orphanage that never got touched. This has an impact on memory and immune function and they don't even have memory yet. And it affects that baby. And so I'm talking to the Lord about this. Well, what about it, God? What about those people, Lord? And the scripture that came to my mind was, my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now that's quite a remarkable promise. But guess who both both of those promises are fulfilled through? They're fulfilled through you. They're fulfilled through you. You are to have your antenna up. You are to ask those questions. I've been at the grocery store and just asked a clerk, you know, I are you looking forward to getting getting off pretty soon? You know, how are the customers treating you today? And they'll just, oh, just, I took one friend shopping. She wanted to buy a pair of pants to a dress store. And I didn't have anything to do. I didn't want to be tempted because I have enough. <laughs> and so I'm standing around at the counter, and I I asked the lady, I said, I asked the lady behind the counter, "So how how are the customers? She's like, is it cool? They're coming in, put kind of pandemicy. You know, what's the?" And she said, "I could just die." She said, "I want to lay on this floor and just die, or or I want to run away or get drunk." She said, "I am so fed up with it." I mean, she just. <laughs> and and the lady next to her said, "Well, this lady you're talking to, she has all kind of stuff in the car. She'll bring you some magazines because everywhere I go." You know, she knew, the lady next to her knew, I had stuff. (laughs) So have your tidings ready, people. Amen? Nutrition and lifestyle, do you think that that could have an impact on risk for depression? Or even be a causative factor? What do you think, wow. Habits of thinking, (laughs) boy. You know, we can be in a habit of thinking in a certain way. I mean, as I was growing up, I would walk out the door. As I was leaving the door, I was told, you never know, it's always something. (laughs) So, you know, you grow up in a certain mindset. Um, And then the worldview that people have, you have a worldview of God that tortures people for all eternity. So what's up with that? So you see, we have a 7.5 billion people in this world that need to know about our God. 7.5 billion people that need to know this message and what the Bible really teaches. Amen? And in blessing, you will be blessed. Addiction, so very real. Okay. In 75% of the cases of addiction and depression, there is something else going on that needs to be checked out by a medical professional. Comorbid or coexisting conditions are very, very real. And we're reading about it in the paper when we're seeing all these pictures of these very tragic uh, homeless populations everywhere we go. So spiritual need, is that, is that a very important factor? Yeah. Oh yes, you know, the Bible says that before we come to Christ, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And there is a way that seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. death, eternal death. So we always want you to work with your healthcare provider when making medical or lifestyle changes, especially with severe depression or mood changes because the type of drugs that people are on right now Um, and the multiplicity of conditions, and the weakness that people are experiencing, we actually had to change our quit nicotine program from quit day to you choose your quit day. Because the three major uh, side effects of quitting just nicotine, those vaping machines aren't 13 milligrams like a, a regular cigarette of nicotine, they can be up to 40. And that changes the architecture of the brain, they're on three, four, five, 13 medications or drugs. And the side effects are death, suicide or psychotic breakdown. So we have to be so careful with people, we're at the end of the genetic line. So we want to be as gentle as the situation demands, amen? The good news is that even when people are prone to depression, there are many factors that are tunable and changeable. Dr. John Rady, he is the author of A User's Guide to the Brain, also the book Spark, which is a very interesting book. He's a psychiatrist from Harvard. Um, very interesting book on exercise and the brain. Oh, you would love that, Rich uh, Rich and Rhonda, because you're an exercise guy. Do you have that book, Spark, by John Rady? Well, anyway, it's, it's an amazing book on the mental health benefits uh, and brain changes that occur with uh, exercise. So here's what Dr. Rady says. Depression is an erosion of what? connections in your life as well as between your brain cells. So, as I said, in the area of addiction, in the area of depression, what begins as a curiosity or a comfort in our lives soon becomes a crutch, then a condition, a condition, almost gotcha. He would have a condition, wouldn't he? And, then, and we'd put him to the natural remedy class. that put something around his neck to fix it. And then a heavy chain around it, and, and then a heavy chain. Do you see the progression? We think of, and I think that the, the addicted brain is fighting hard, the depressed brain is fighting hard, but we need to learn to fight smart. When we understand that it's a condition, then it gives us courage, doesn't it? We need to fight. Are you still there? We need to fight <laughs> with every tool in the box. Are you with me? Yeah. We need to fight with what? For every every tool in the box. Doesn't it make you want to be a little kinder to yourself when you realize you're working with multiple body systems? When you're trying to overcome temptation and wrong thinking and habits? New, the good news is that new nerve cells are born in substantial numbers every day in the brain in regions affected by depression. And when I'm doing research, I'm always looking for pictures of God. And this is one of the most beautiful pictures of God. It gives me great hope today that two of the areas of the brain where these new nerve cells migrate are the hippocampal area of the brain, which has to do with learning and memory, and the amygdala, which has to do with emotional memory and fear. So what does this tell us about God? It tells us that he has engineered you and I, whatever our background, whatever the genetic deck is that we have been dealt, whatever the choices are that we have made, that he has engineered you and I for healing from emotional trauma and increased wisdom and knowledge over time. Do you love this God of ours? Amen. So positive lifestyle choices encourage that new nerve cell growth. As I said, new nerve cell production is one thing, but their survival is another. And we will be discussing more about chronic inflammation and the survival of these new nerve cells. Remember, the battle is not for the bulge, it's for the brain. It's not about weight control, it's about appetite control, a brain thing. How many of you want to have healthy headquarters? We're going to get to the cortex of the matter. It's just a favorite thing. I'm sorry. I said it yesterday. I know I said it yesterday, but I just wanted to say it one more time. (laughs) It's really fun. I have to have some fun in this thing, too. Okay, so that was fun. All right, increased connections between cells. Now, what would increased connections between cells suggest? If you have more, like a blueberry bush that has more branches, what would that suggest in terms of brain health? And communication, intracellular communication. <inaudible> Pardon? <inaudible> better, faster, cognitive clarity, problems that <inaudible> more fruit. There you go. Pro- better problem solving, quicker off the mark, under stress. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what it does. That's what exercise does, too. Improve nerve cell survival. When you exercise, when you, uh, Dr. Rady puts it this way, when you make yourself get out and move, not pushing past your governor, but doing what you can. It actually showers the brain with a growth factor, brain derived neurotrophic factor, and he says it's like putting Miracle Grow on your brain. So the question is not, am I going to exercise today? But when and where? That's, that's the question. Now, my, my wonderful colleague, Evelyn, who I love so dearly, who is not with us at uh, this camp meeting because she's fighting a genetic a challenge that has manifest a very serious amyloidosis. And I have tablets back there for you to write a love note to Evelyn. Um, but she says, there's no bad clothes, just bad weather. I, I, I'm i not there. I'm not there. But uh, I, if you love and know Evelyn and you want to leave her a note, Sherry's going to put out three notebooks and some pens so that you can send her a love note that you're praying for her in the new challenge that she is facing. She has lost seven relatives to this genetic disorder. Uh, all of her siblings have it, and uh, it, it is called amyloidosis. So it's a genetic issue, but she's strong, she's faithful, she loves God. Her lifestyle has kept her stronger to fight this. Uh, so anyway, that, that's her story, and we love we love her. So you can let her know you love her, too. Now let's talk about brain inflammation for just a moment because your your brain has its own immune system and we talked a little bit yesterday about systemic inflammation and how systemic inflammation affects everything. It affects nutrient absorption, it affects how well your cells absorb the nutrients, how well they retain them, and, and how well they utilize. Those nutrients and it can cause all kinds of challenges with regard to uh, chronic disease, lifestyle diseases, etc. And so your brain has its own immune system. We have glial cells in the brain. There are more glial cells than actual nerve cells in the brain. There's a subcategory of glial cell called microglial cells. Microglial cells are the brain's own what? resident immune cells. They're like reserve soldiers. They're involved in neuron repair and protection, and they actually are signal amplifiers. So under normal condition, under normal conditions, these nerve cells or these microglial cells actually protect nerve cells. They keep them alive. They nourish them. They make sure that they're not um, toxic. But when there is a signal of of inflammation, chronic stress, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, these kinds of things. And remember I told you yesterday that there is a condition called normal weight obesity. The ratio of lean muscle is too low compared to body fat. And and that person is at risk for 30 different chronic conditions, including increased risk for depression as a result, increased pain sensitivity. all of these things increase stress, chronic stress, lack of sleep. You, you know the you know the routine. You know that you know that speech, poor diet, increases systemic inflammation and insulin resistance, so that your cells are not getting the glucose, and you feel lethargic and tired and stressed and fatigued. You go to bed tired, you wake up tired. It, uh, the brain responds to this. And begin, it says here, when exposed to systemic inflammation, which is a chronic condition that Americans, I think two-thirds of Americans, have chronic lifestyle issues that put them in this category. Systemic inflammation, microglial cells start generating what? Inflammation where? In the brain, which has been linked to cognitive decline and depression. So we know that with certain conditions, with depression, lifestyle, ailments, uh, chronic stress, you see a change in the hippocampal area of the brain. Remember, I just told you a few minutes ago that's one of the areas where new nerve cells migrate. Is that wonderful? To begin to repair and restore? But it also degenerates and atrophies under these conditions. And the microglial cells are the immune response to inflammation because this M1 type of microglial cell is there to take care of pathogens and inflammation and virus and bacteria. Their their job is to destroy cells that are sick. But if the whole brain is responding to this signal of inflammation, then what starts to happen? It's inflammation gone crazy. So volume loss in the hippocampal area of the brain is seen in major depressive disorder. The microglial cells have a role in this. So understanding these connections between inflammation, mood, and cognitive decline makes it all the more important to lower systemic inflammation in our bodies. Very, very important. The most universally relevant methods of reaching this goal include... Avoidance of the what? Standard American diet. I call it the chips, chops, and lollipops <laughs> kind of lifestyle, okay? And tomorrow we're going to see a little bit more about that. I want to sh- I want to, we're going to talk about the skinny on fats a little bit tomorrow a- and talk about how F-A-T is not spelled B-A-D. It's some real pretty awesome stuff. Uh, And we want to show how it can actually have a pain-lowering, cholesterol-lowering effect when it's the right kind. Moderate levels of exercise and adequate sleep and stress reduction all play a role in lowering systemic inflammation, which lowers brain inflammation, which protects your brain, so that those new brain cells that are accumulating in your wisdom part of the brain are going to be able to not just be created and generated, but they will what? They'll survive. That's exactly right. How many of you want your brain cells to survive? Very, very good. Little choices make a what? When people come to an obesity seminar that I do, or weight management, or metabolic syndrome, or depression, or addictions, the person that comes up to me and says, all right, that's it, you know, from now on, I'm going to do ninja weightlifting and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to only eat six frozen grapes for dessert, millet, that's it. You know, how long do you think that is going to last? Is, like, to so. until, they, until they get to Krispy Kreme.
1: That's how long <laughs> it's going to last.
0: So what we need to remember, and, and we're going to talk about this on Thursday, the the secret of long-term habit formation is so it's it's a mindset it's a way of looking at change and it's so very very helpful this is again dr john rady's statement here critics sometimes claim that a focus on ordinary measures like exercise and diet are too simplistic to affect unordinary behavior. Not so brilliantly simple evidence shows how powerful such universal factors can be in affecting what? The brain-body system. And that's so important. And he he says that exercise forces your brain out of hibernation. Because when a person is depressed, they go into winter. It's winter of the soul. And it's a very painful place to be. Physical exercise, mental exercise, proper nutrition, and adequate sleep will help anyone gain cognitive clarity and emotional stability. Here's a quote. What we ingest is fundamental to how we think and feel. And Sherry reminded me that, my secretary reminded me, uh, that we have a, a lovely table over at the ABC with fantastic materials available to you, Uh, Our book, Foods for Thought, Nutrition's Link with Mood, Memory, Learning, and Behavior, Living Free, Finding Freedom from Habits that Hurt. It's a 300-page, really handy, helpful book on uh, the addicted and learning brain, how how to create a healthy lifestyle, and then Simple Solutions, Is What You're Eating, Eating You? It's a book on stress, depression, and immune function. Other programs are there, so visit us at the ABC Poor diet is common in people who suffer from depression and other mental disorders. So mental disorders and depression can drive poor eating habits, but can poor eating habits generate depression and other problems? Works both ways, doesn't it? A potent lifestyle weapon in the fight against depression can be found right in your produce department. But before we go there, I want to do just a little demo. And um, I don't know how many of you will be able to see this. I'm going to can you come up and help me? Yes, you. <laughs> She's scared. I just scared her. Come on over here. <laughs> it's not hard on us. Pro- what is your name again? Debbie. Debbie is going to help me. Thank you, Debbie. Um, Sherry, let's make sure Debbie gets a, where's Sherry? Are you here, Sherry? Debbie gets a, a book, a free book, okay, for helping us. <laughs> We're going to help you. She feels better now, she feels better. And you can pick the book you want. All right, Debbie, A couple of questions. I'm gonna have you hold this glass and I'm gonna have you hold it up high because everybody needs to see it. I'm not that tall. You could have been a little taller, I'm sorry. I, you know, it's like, deal with it. I, you know, I'm tired of being able to see on top of people's refrigerators, to tell you the truth. So, okay. All right, so Debbie, do not have to do it yet? So many instructions. Do you recognize this bottle? What is it? My husband's favorite. It's your... You know, spouses love to tell on their, on their mates. Okay, we didn't hear that. Okay, so this is a Mountain Dew, people. Have you ever seen one? Okay. My husband used to call it Mountain Don't. Now, what is this? It's a bigger Mountain Dew. Which way do you think our drinking habits are going? We're going bigger but we're gonna use this one today. So Debbie, um, how many sugars do we see? How many grams, right there? Oh my goodness. How many? Oh, 31. Okay, so we're gonna round it to 32 for easy math. In one teaspoon, four grams is one teaspoon of sugar. How many grams, one teaspoon of sugar? Four, four. okay, so four into 32 is? Eight. eight. Let's count together. Do you wanna count in English or Spanish? Let's do English. No, can't do German. Okay, let's count everybody. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Okay, what is the next question that we need to ask? Small bottle, 20 ounces. How many servings? Some of you have seen this before. How? Don't answer yet. Oh my word, how many servings? Two and a half. Two and a half. So they don't tell you you're supposed to share this with one and a half friends. <laughs> okay, so another serving is how many, eight. Eight. and another half is four. which is one. okay. Let's count together one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11 and so 12 and 8 is 20. So how many ounces in the bottle? 20. How many teaspoons in the glass? 20. But we're not done because people have a snack. So let's do a snack. This is a Snickers. How many He's really he's he's going to need an intervention people. Okay. So practice all those nice words, but don't let him out. Okay. I told him when he walked in here, you were after him. And he was one of my volunteers. I think he's going to quit on it. Okay, how many sugars here? 21 grams. 21. How many grams in a teaspoon? Four. What's, we're going to take it down to 20. Four into 20 is? And what's the next question? How many sugars? Oh, I didn't know that money. Let's let's tell the public. Three. Okay. So this is a serving. Do you see what this is? This is a serving, people. So three servings. How many teaspoons? um, I mean, how many? Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen, Yeah, (laughs) fifteen. All right, let's count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Okay, so you see why I don't use the big, the big bottle. I'd have to carry a beer stein with me. Okay, so you can let your husband hold this for a few minutes. No, we're not going to be here. All right, let's give Debbie a hand and thank her. Now, would you agree with me that this could have drug-like effects in the brain and cause increased tension and fatigue and even addiction? When you look at the brains of sacrificed animals, they don't look very different than a cocaine addiction. And so uh, these are what are called drug-like or psychopharmacologic doses of a macronutrient. So what we want to do is we want to fight carbs with carbs, refined carbs with unrefined carbohydrates. So here's how we do it. Because this is very addicting and when you wash down your food with these sweetened drinks it turns on a peptide in the stomach neuropeptide Y that says I'm hungry and that's why people that use even diet drinks eat more calories because it's turning on hunger signaling and then there's another hormone produced in fat cells called leptin and when you eat a high fat food Leptin is what, under normal circumstances, tells you you've had enough, but too much high fat in the diet muffles the leptin. So you have the burger, the fries, and the coke, and you are drinking a drink that tells you you're hungry, and the leptin has earmuffs that tells you you've had enough. Do you see how this becomes a condition over time? And it causes metabolic syndrome. The potent weapons are in the produce department, that's why they call it the Department of Defense. That's why they're called phytochemicals. So we want to color up with leafy greens, colorful fruits, whole grains, yes, including wheat, beans, avocado, nuts and seeds, and plenty of water to juice those vessels and increase circulation. Now, this is a really interesting piece of paper. And if I were to read everything on this paper, you would say, Vicki, I will give you money to stop. And what it is, this is a list of micronutrients that are involved in depression. When these levels of micronutrients are low, depression risk is higher. And so I took it upon myself to start looking up the foods that we find these micronutrients in, the the minerals and micronutrients. And guess what? Guess what? You can either drive yourself crazy with this list, or you can go here. And let's remember that nutrition is a three-legged stool. How many legs? It's a three-legged stool. When you take your nutrients in the right ratios... You are increasing, maximizing the absorption of those nutrients, the utilization of those nutrients, and the retention of those nutrients. Do you remember the days when people were taking huge amounts of vitamin E supplementation for heart disease? And we were seeing that it actually was acting as a pro-oxidant and increasing risk for certain cancers? Well, that's because in nature, there are seven, there are seven forms of vitamin E, and they compete for receptor sites on cells. And so when you overload with one, then the others, the others can't have access to the cell and it acts as a pro-oxidant. So copper and zinc, if you look on the, on the periodic table, copper and zinc have almost identical molecular weights. They compete for receptor sites on cells. So yeah, is it good during flu season to have a little extra zinc? Sure. But when you take huge amounts with it, you can come up with blood problems. Junk food diet increases copper, reduces zinc. So it's not just about absolute nutrients. That's why you can't do the cheesecake vitamin diet. These, so, you know, in, in toxicology, the keynote, the, the, the theme of toxicology is it's the dose that makes the, drug, that makes the poison. And so supplements can become poison when we take huge amounts, thinking it's going to counterbalance a lack of good balance and the ratios in the food. I had to take whole courses on nutrient interactions. And, and so this is so, it's, it's God has packaged these things. Now, does that mean we don't have nutrients of concern? Healthy individuals in Michigan, we have nutrients of concern. B12 is a nutrient of concern. Iodine is a nutrient of concern. Vitamin D a nutrient of concern. So I pay attention to those nutrients and I actually supplement with vitamin D and just a general multi. But our clinical dietitian Evelyn Kissinger's advice is just take the 100% RDA to get the basic iodine levels and the B12 and you'll be and anything else you're starting to get into pharmacology, which is not a terrible thing, but you better be careful. I have one friend that she took so many supplements. You she had They all fit in a construction boot box. And I said, we better go have some fun because you're dying of supplements. And she got off of them and she felt better. She couldn't get off the couch. Her liver and kidneys had to process all of these supplements. And some of them have 30, 40 ingredients. So be careful. It's medicine. Amen? What about rest? How many minutes do I have? Five that is so wrong. Four. Oh, wow. OK. Well, this is the day where I, I hit it, folks. Right on time. Regular sleep routine. Is it important? Yeah. I'm going to show you a picture. A fatigue selectively targets the highest order of cognitive mental functions. Critical thinking becomes what? Impossible. Your brain will shut you down. You go to work on a project. You can't think. You end up cleaning the bathroom instead, answering emails, surfing the web because you can't concentrate. Then you'd pay a bunch of money for a time management class when all you really needed was a nap. So this is what a rested brain looks like. This is what a tired brain looks like. And according to Belenke, who works with uh, sleep-deprived military, decision-making falls to chance levels. Elijah had to have, after Mount Carmel, he had to have two meals and two naps before God could even talk to him. So watch your sleep levels. Remember those connections for help, support, advice, and guidance. And what about our habits of thinking? To a large extent, we have the ability to choose how we're going to think about a situation. I remember one time my husband was upstairs working. We were having some kind of challenge. I don't know if it was ministry or finance or something. And I was downstairs, you know, doing the obligatory, worrying I went upstairs to bring him some water, and he was working. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm working. I said, how can you work when there's so much to worry about? (laughs) And he said, Vicki, I have only so much I can do in this. I can't fix it. It's just out of my control. I've prayed about it, and now I'm getting work done. That is ridiculous. I never heard (laughs) such a thing. And then he, I said, do I have to do all the worrying for this family? (laughs) And then he said... Well, you know how, I tell, how you tell people to go for a 10-minute walk to improve mood for an hour? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> now, whose brain cells were committing suicide? Whose? Whose brain cells? Who solved the problem? Yeah. Through him. That's right. So this is from Charles Spurgeon. I have to share this. Sad hearts have a peculiar skill in discovering the most disadvantaged point of view from which to gaze upon a trial. If there were only one bog in the desert, they would soon be up to their neck in it. If there were only one lion in the forest, they would hear it roar. About us all, there's a tinge of this wretched folly, and we are apt at times to cry, all these things are against me. Some of you can relate. Faith's way of walking is to cast all care upon the Lord and then to anticipate what? Good results from the worst calamities. When her flood of prosperity ebbs, she finds treasures hid in the sand. How many of you want that to develop that mindset? Only through the word of God, through faith, through trust in him, through exercising those spiritual muscles can we get to this point. Amen? Sadness is not a bad thing. It's not the same as depression. Sadness takes us off line so that we can regroup and reevaluate, It may cause us enough pain so that we're motivated to change, like that dear addict that came out of changed man. Remember, what you magnify is going to get bigger. So let's just make up our mind. We're going to magnify trust, magnify solutions, magnify faith. We're going to magnify the Lord. Here's our last slide. He took me up out of a deep waste place, stuck. You don't know how you got there. You don't know how to get out. Out of the soft and sticky earth, he put my feet on a rock and he made my steps certain. You may have suffered from depression. You may know people that are suffering from depression, but there is a way out. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much that you have said that the path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more to the perfect day. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Lord, teach us to ponder our path, order our steps. Help us, Lord, that our brains and bodies, our relationships and our walk with you will become healthier every day so that we can endure for the joy that is set before you. You endured and you are teaching us to endure. Bless each and every one as they ponder these truths. Thank you for the lifestyle tools that you've given us, the mental health tools, the attitudinal disciplines, and all the support of heavenly angels to bring us comfort in times of sorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org audio 2021, or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.